Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom. I am Dr. Ann Davis of Bible Interact. This is the second in a series of teachings that I am doing on the remnant. In the first session, we looked at the relationship between God and the children of Israel, and we found that God refers to himself as their father and calls the children of Israel his firstborn son. Now the citation about the firstborn son is in Exodus 4.22 and God says, Israel is my son, my firstborn. But that is in the singular. So the question is, who is the firstborn son if it's in the singular? But the Hebrew text is, is exquisite by its artistic nature. There's a literary device that employs a contrast between Israel is my son, my firstborn in the singular, and always after that, it's always in the plural. So after this Exodus 4.22, when God says, Israel is my firstborn son, he says repeatedly, let my people go so they may worship me. And let the people go. And the three times the narrative identifies the people as the Israelites. Never again after Exodus 4.22 does God declare, let my son go so he may worship me. Israel is my firstborn son, let my son go. So this is a Hebrew artistic parallelism for emphasis by a contrast of terms that equates my son Israel with my people, the Israelites, the children of Israel. Now, what we have then is God who is the father to all the children of Israel and all the children of Israel are God's firstborn son. What I want to do now is I want to take a look at the inheritance of the birthright. The firstborn son was entitled to a special inheritance called the birthright just because he was born first. And there are uh, six characteristics of that inheritance that I want to share with you. Now, just because a Jew is born to this special birthright doesn't mean he's going to inherit it because he has to prove that he is worthy of this leadership position. You'll see in these six characteristics that they're all leading towards some kind of a leadership position. And in a later session, I will talk about um, the, the ones who are not Jews, but they belong to God by their faith in Yeshua. And there will also be a remnant out of those Christian believers, and they will be entitled to this inheritance of the birthright if they show these leadership qualities. So what we're going to do now is all we're going to do is we're going to look at the 
nature of the inheritance by the firstborn son who is worthy to inherit the birthright. And keep in mind that those who are worthy to inherit the birthright are going to become a remnant. We'll see that in a later session. All right, let's start in Deuteronomy 21.17. And we see here a clear indication of one of the aspects of the inheritance of the birthright. It's a double portion of inheritance. All the other sons get a single portion, but the son who will inherit the birthright is going to get a double portion. And I always explain it's, that's not extra presents under the Christmas tree. That is a double portion to enable the firstborn son to carry out a demanding leadership role. And in Deuteronomy, what we see is that if a man has two wives, and he loves one wife and he doesn't love the other wife, and that reminds us of Jacob with Rachel and Leah. And But this is coming in Deuteronomy. And so it's, it's, it's one of the laws here that if a man has two wives and he loves one and he loves the other, he, the, and if the firstborn belongs to the unloved wife, he cannot be dispossessed from his birthright just because he belongs to the unloved wife. He is entitled to that birthright. And, it, and in verse 17, he shall acknowledge, the father shall acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved, by giving him a double portion of all that he has. So this double portion of the inheritance is characteristic of the birthright. And this passage goes on to something very interesting that we'll take up at the end of this session. For he is the beginning of his father's strength. And we'll take that up in a minute. To him belongs the right of the firstborn. So one of the things that the firstborn gets is a double portion of the inheritance. The next thing he gets is a special blessing. You remember the story of the twin sons, Esau and Jacob, Esav and Yaakov. Esau was born, for, uh, born first. He was entitled to the birthright, but he was very hungry, and he came in, and, and he was ready to die. You see, to be worthy of the birthright, you have to serve unto death or be prepared to serve unto death. And Esau was not. He was ready to die. He said, I'm going to die if I don't get food. And he said to his, his twin brother, who was born second uh, to Jacob, Give me that food, otherwise I'm going to die. And so Jacob said, well, I'll, I'll sell it to you. I'll sell you this food. I'll sell it for your birthright. So Esau sold his birthright. And what follows is the special blessing. You remember how uh, with, with uh, Rachel's help, uh, uh, Jacob you know, puts his father's blind, and not Rachel, it would have been Rebecca, Rivka, um, uh, his father is blind, so he puts on the skin of an animal because Esau was hairy and he was not. And he deceived his father into thinking that he was he was Esau. And his father gave him the special blessing. When Esau came in from the field, he said, Father, where's my special blessing? And his father said, uh, let's see, I have already made him, your brother Jacob, your Lord, and have given him all of his brothers as servants. That's Genesis twenty-seven thirty-seven. So by make the, the special blessing made Jacob lord over Esau and all his brothers. This is a leadership role, and it is coming through that special blessing. The uh, third attribute of the um, of the birthright 
is that the one with the birthright is entitled to be the high priest. Now this is very interesting. It has parallels, of course, with Yeshua, but it also has parallels with us. And we need certainly to identify with Yeshua, but we need to go beyond that to look at us also. The high priest has a direct relationship with God the Father. God speaks to the high priest, and when the high priest speaks to all the brothers, they bow down to him because he's speaking for God. And of course, the high priest is the only one who is holy and worthy to come into God's presence in the Holy of Holies. Uh, That would have been once a year um, at uh, Yom Kippur. So the high priest is special because the high priest has a very um, close relationship to God. So the high priest speaks for God because God speaks directly to him. The high priest can go into the presence of God. And, and, and so we have three attributes to the birthright. One is the double portion. The next is the special blessing. And the third is the high priest. Now, I want to take you into something in Exodus, which is interesting. The Jewish sages have, have drawn a conclusion about this verse. And, of course, they make the conclusion from Scripture. But I first discovered it in the, in the Talmud. So, but then I, I subsequently went to Scripture, of course, to verify it, uh, which is what the Talmud wants you to do, by the way. But let, let me explain this to you. So in addition to a special blessing and a double portion of land and possessions, the firstborn served as the high priest of his clan. The, regarding this priestly office, the Jewish sages later commented on Exodus 24, chapter 24, verse 5. Now this verse says that Moses sent young men, the Hebrew is Na'are B'nai Yisrael, sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed oxen as offerings of well-being to the Lord. Now this is not all the adult men of Israel who are offering these sacrifices. These are are the priests. But who are the priests? Because at this time in the wilderness they, they didn't have priests. So what did they have? This was before the 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 golden um, when the tribe of uh, Leviticus was, was made priest. This is before that time. So who would have been qualified to offer the burnt offerings? And based on how Na'ar, Na'are, is used in the Hebrew scriptures, the sages concluded that these young men were firstborn sons, leaders of their clans and tribes, and that the firstborn sons were performing sacrificial service until the construction of the the tabernacle and the substitution of the Levites as the priestly class. Now, this word na'ah and na'are is is the noun, which it means a young man. But in its in if you go into scripture and see how it is used, the context in which it is used, it also is used as young men who are loyal servants and retainers to the king. And this is why the Jewish sages concluded that these were the firstborn, because the firstborn has to be worthy of that leadership role. The firstborn must be obedient, they must be loyal to the Lord God, they must be servants, they must serve the Lord God. And so 
the Jewish sages concluded that the firstborn were the the high priests. They were the high priests and making the offerings in uh, direct communication with God before the event of the golden calf. So now we have four attributes. We have the double portion, a special blessing, well, three, and then the high priest. The fourth one is this role of leadership, and I want to do a little bit more with that role of leadership. The leader is not acting in his own right. The leader is acting for God. So the leader must be able to hear from God and respond by obeying God. And we've just seen that the leader speaks for God as the high priest. The Hebrew text conveys a lot of this instruction through stories, through narrative. And especially in the, in, in the book of Genesis, it, there's a great deal of narrative here, and the narrative is all for the purpose of instruction and, and prophecy. Uh, not all, but a lot of it is. So what we have is the story of Joseph. You remember that Jacob had 12 sons. His oldest son was Reuben, Reuven, who was born to the birthright. However, Joseph was the son that his father loved. And his father gave him a coat of many colors. And his brothers were very jealous of him because they could see that his father was treating him in a special way. Joseph had a dream. And he told his dreams to his brothers, which made them even more jealous of him. In his dream... He was a sheaf of grain who was standing upright. There were 11 sheaves of grain that all bowed down before him. Well, how many brothers did he have? He had 11 brothers. Jacob had 12 sons. He had 11 brothers. And and the the brothers you know were 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 furious and they asked Joseph a rhetorical question. The rhetorical question means everybody knows the answer. The rhetorical question is this. Are you, Joseph, to have dominion over us? The answer is yes. They didn't like that answer. They didn't believe the dream. You know, they, they sold him and they thought, and thought he had been killed, but he got sold into slavery and into Egypt. They thought he had been killed. And in fact, he was going to have dominion over them. He was going to have dominion in Egypt when he became the viceroy, second in command under the pharaoh. And he was also going to have dominion prophetically in the future when he would inherit the birthright, not Reuben. He would inherit the birthright and he would be have that leadership role. Now we're going to see in a minute um, what happened to Reuben, which, which I think is important. Um, in fact, let's do that right now. What we see here is that it, it's in, uh, uh, I think it's Second Chronicles chapter 5, and it says that Reuben defiled his, his father's bed, and the, the birthright was given from, uh, was taken away from Reuben and given to Joseph. Uh, I am going to do a little bit more with that in, in just a minute, but I, I wanted to explain that so you could see. So, this leadership role is is one of the attributes of the birthright because the one with the birthright had all had this special leadership role that person had to be consecrated or set apart as holy and we read that in Exodus chapter 13 verse 2 
And God says, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Consecrate means to set apart as, as holy and pure. All right, as holy and pure. Consecrate to me all the firstborn. The offspring of every womb among the sons of Israel, both of man and beast. This firstborn of every man and beast belongs to me. Now, the firstborn of all the animals were given to God in sacrifice. They had to be the firstborn. They had to be unblemished. They had to be pure. They had to be holy. And they were given to God as a gift. And God could smell that sweet aroma that floated up to him because you could only give that gift if you came in a holy condition. Today, of course, Paul says that we are a living and holy sacrifice. So we're not dead sacrifices, we're living sacrifices. But by sacrifice, we give ourselves to God and we give ourselves in a holy and pure condition in order to serve him and to serve his needs. So the first the um, firstborn is going to have a leadership position but that leadership position had to, they, they had to be consecrated set apart as holy. Now another very interesting thing here is that the the, the firstborn was given to God and the animals were sacrificed they were dead sacrifices. But the firstborn of the children of Israel had to be redeemed. Redeem means to rescue. They're rescued from death. They're rescued from the death of that sacrifice. And we read in Exodus chapter 13, verse 15, I sacrifice to the Lord every male that first opens the womb. So every firstborn animal was given to God. But, and that but is always going to show the contrast, but every firstborn of my sons I redeem. And in fact, there was a special ceremony to redeem the firstborn son that is still practiced by Orthodox Jews today. You see, on the seventh day, the son was circumcised, but on the thirtieth day, he was redeemed from the death that is required of the firstborn, which is given to God. So he's given to God as a living offering, not as a dead offering. That uh, ceremony today, when the firstborn son is 30 days old, is called Pidyon Haben. It's still practiced uh, among Orthodox Jews today. So now what do we have? We have the double portion, a special blessing. We have the one with the birthright will become the high priest of his clan or tribe. We have the one with the birthright assuming a leadership position, but in that leadership position, he must be holy and pure. He must be worthy to submit to God, to obey God, and to emerge as the leader of God's people by his submission, humility, and obedience. Now what I want to do is to go back to what we did in that double portion in Deuteronomy 21 which, which was interesting because it said not only should the one with the birthright get a double portion, but also he is the beginning of his father's strength. This very same phrase, the beginning of my strength, appears again when Jacob is giving blessings to his twelve sons. 
And the first blessing goes to Reuben because Reuben was the firstborn. So Reuben was the one who was entitled to the birthright. But we remember that Reuben was not worthy. He defiled his father's bed and the birthright had been given to, to Joseph. In this blessing, what we get, it's two verses, if you want to turn to it. It's in Genesis 49, verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 is going to give all the attributes of the birthright. Reuben was born to the birthright. He was born to these things. Then, in verse 4, it's as if a stone falls off a cliff because it's going to describe his actual nature, which led to his loss of the birthright because he was not worthy of that leadership role. So, in Genesis 49, verse 3, we start, Reuben... You are my firstborn. My might, and that word is power. You, you have my power. You, and, 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 and this is Jacob is talking, but he's speaking for God. You have the power of God. As the firstborn and title of the birthright, God has given you his power. And you were the beginning of my strength. That's that same phrase. I read an interesting article by a uh, linguist of Biblical Hebrew who carefully examined this phrase and he finds, he suggests that the beginning of my strength is the beginning of procreative power. In other words, the one with the birthright is going to bear abundant seed. We remember in the Genesis story how the patriarchs their their descendants were going to be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. They were going to have abundant seed. But stop and think for a minute. The ones who inherit the birthright are they're the leaders. They're the righteous ones. They're the ones who have humbled themselves in 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 obedience. They're the ones who have made themselves servants for God. And and they are the ones whose seed will be abundant. As they are righteous, so their seed will be righteous. I think this is pointing to something that's going to happen in the future. And um, I only get little glimpses of it, but I'm I'm working on it. <laughs> but but the beginning of my strength is the beginning of my procreative power, and that procreative power is an abundance of righteous descendants. And then it continues, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Now the ancient ear would have heard the repetition of preeminent. It's been translated into English and there's no way you're going to understand it. In fact, when I was I, I when I was working on this passage, I saw it for the first time. I went back to the Hebrew and I saw it for the first time. I'd been in the Hebrew before, but I had never noticed it. Preeminent is yeter which comes from the verbal root yatar, which is one of the two Hebrew words used for the remnant. It means to remain or to be excess. In other words, if you fill up to the top and you have even more, that's, that's the excess. Now it has come to mean preeminent because if you fill up to the top and keep flowing, you are preeminent. So it has the meaning of preeminent, but its original meaning means to to, to be to be in excess. 
to to remain or to be in excess, and and so it's it's a play on word. He, Hebrews, he, the, the Hebrew text does this all the time. It plays on these words, and so the ancient ear would have heard that word, and they would have heard that double meaning. So what it's saying here is that Reuben, you were born to the birthright, and as the birth as the the one to inherit the birthright, you were going to be part of the remnant, and and there's a repetition. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in in power. That's another word for power. It means very strong, like a lot of muscles. Because the one with the leader in the future is going to fight a battle against Satan and Satan's army and is going to have to have that power. Now, in verse 4, it's it's like you're shifting gears and you hear the grinding of the gears. I go, you hear the gears grinding, all right? And all of a sudden, you're not going forward. You're going back in reverse. And the and this verse four is going to say, Reuben, you were born to all these things, but this is who you are, and that's why you will not inherit the birthright. And we have here, uh, controlled, uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence. With that, I'm going to have to leave you, but I will take up this concept of the remnant in future sessions. Shalom.